Hey, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining us. This is Packed. P is for Peter. That is me. ACD is for the lovely Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor, Master of Science, seated to my left. Uh, help us out by subscribing on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast service. Leave us comments as well as glowing reviews on Audible and Apple Podcasts. Most importantly, tell your friends. Help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Peter Coffin. Your monthly support gets you into the Discord server, which gets you exclusive content, and you get to see some content before everyone else. We stream 6 p.m. Eastern time every Saturday, so plan your weekends right with theory-packed Saturdays. I, I very much enjoy Eurovision, but didn't really have time to watch it today, which sucks. Israel did a song called Set Me Free. Was it just a Velvet Revolver cover? No. Shut the fuck up. Oh, we, we can do like our little caveat as to why we're not um, really talking about Israel and Palestine. Oh, yeah. We probably should actually note that. Uh, it's a completely non-controversial thing. We are 100% pro-Palestine. Um Anybody who's listened to our podcast, that should be pretty clear. And there's not any new information that we can give you. And here's the thing. Like, John Oliver is making pro-Palestine videos and putting them out. Like You have plenty of, of mainstream media covering this. This is not something that is short of coverage. We're not going to be able to add anything to that. Um, and we're, we're obviously unambiguously in support of the yeah. Palestinians. I have... For about as long as I can remember, been saying that Israel is a right-wing ethno-state, is an apartheid state, and is doing an ethnic cleansing on Palestine. I've gotten shit on for it for years and years and years. Just a quick little caveat before we get going with other things uh, on Israel and Palestine. So people asked about this when I, I had kind of mentioned offhandedly um, that I was preparing for a, a large departmental meeting in which we were addressing the racial climate um, of our community, of our department. In academia, addressing racism is full of well-intentioned people mm -hmm. um, and angry people who, you know, are, are reporting these concerns making the climate unsupportive of retaining racial and ethnic minority students and also students of marginalized identities elsewhere. Um, and so what we had done was do a survey, which is like classic, like diversity, equity, inclusion initiative in academia to see what people thought. And then we analyzed the data quantitatively, qualitatively, and presented it to faculty, students, our postdocs, everybody to show what people were experiencing in the department. Which is, that's good. Yeah. Um, that, that's a good start, I think. Um, getting up to this point, however, though, is um, a bureaucratic, and I'm going to use your word, Ouroboros, um, in which we are constantly just stating how much we want the racism to end and how much of a systemic issue it is. And then also 
looking at these data and acting as though these individual experiences are something that can be remediated without mm -hmm. redressing the system. Um, people were complaining in our department about how, you know, the power dynamics aren't addressed. Um, the systemic underpinning of racism in our department was not addressed. And then conflating that with microaggressions, as they would call them, in which some of these things were just kind of, you know, somebody said I was wrong about something. Very resistant to a material analysis mm. or, it, it, well, if you say something like, yeah, it is systemic and here's why, people will be like, oh, okay, yeah, but that's not what we're focusing on right now. Mm -hmm. um, we need to focus on stopping all these microaggressions that are happening, um, which yeah, that's true. Um, the way that they go about it is addressing the symptom rather than the disease. Exactly. Um, for example, in one of these meetings, we were talking about how as our department over the past year, um, because a lot of this was sparked with George Floyd. Right. Yeah. Um, and everything, which also shows you how, you know, completely devoid of awareness the department mm. is and that they don't acknowledge these things as happening until, you know, a, a highly publicized murder, even after other highly publicized murders. I they, mean, there's been a continual stream of them. Right. Like they just decided that like this was the time to do that and create, I don't know, like at least seven different committees, task forces, subcommittees um, to show that we care about these things, to have... Um, discussions about how we can be a good ally, um, discussions for processing the recent events that have happened in safe spaces, um, and and all that sorts of thing that has no material effect on on our communities or in, in where I live and where my university is located. It is an incredibly residentially segregated area mm -hmm. um, because of the material racialization of poverty. Um, of course, we've never talked about that in one of these meetings. We talk about the segregation. We don't talk about why that happens. Um, in any case, so in, in one of these meetings that I was preparing for, we were talking about how over the past year, we have had a lot of initiatives. And even in the past year, um, we've increased the diversity of our student incoming cohorts quite a bit. And that's that's really good. Like you, you want to see that in the field that I'm in because we're providing healthcare to people that can make mm -hmm. people feel more comfortable. You know, it, it gives us some more various perspective on how can we best provide patient-centered, culturally sensitive healthcare. It's fantastic. Concurrently, though, for reasons that are way beyond the individual views of faculty in our department um, and even individual views of people in our college or university, um, we might have to cut incoming salaries for students. And the way that these individuals see that is that, oh, they're doing this because we can get away with it because we, we have more minority students now. And I, <laughs> I made the point that, you know what? It, it's actually pretty exploitative that, you know, for all of us, that they would cut our salaries when we're working 80, 100 hours a week, when our contracts say 20, we're making, you know, very limited salaries on that. Um, and, and that's something that disproportionately affects minority students. 
Um, but I think something that's really important is how, you know, this is a material consequence of, and I didn't say it this way, but of the base, the capitalistic base that underpins academia. And they were just like, yeah, but think about how much this affects minority students. I mean, that's not the focus of what we're talking about right now. And like, I kind of got like soft scolded for bringing up like material exploitation. They don't see the racialized consequences of that. Mm -hmm. They think that the diversity is the cause of that. And that there's someone yeah. at the top that are like, ooh, there's there's more black people coming in. We're going to cut the salaries because we don't like that. No, they want to exploit their graduate students. And that has racialized effects because racial and ethnic minority students are less likely to make it to this point of higher education. And when they do, they're materially compromised or tend mm -hmm. to be uh, statistically on average. And, and the fact that they don't understand that from a materialistic perspective is a prime example of, of where these conversations go. Um, I ended up facilitating and moderating the discussion following this presentation. Wasn't expected to have that much time. I got a lot of feedback from faculty that like really care about these issues and were like just giving me really high praise and like how effective they thought it was and actually like affecting material change. Um, and then I got yelled at for talking too much and for assuming too great of a role in the moderation because I'm a white person. Doesn't and matter that you're a, a queer person. Doesn't matter that you're non-binary. Non -binary. It doesn't matter that I have a disability. Like and none of those things matter. None of those things matter. And, and like when I confided in some faculty with this, they were upset. And like, actually, even though tending to come from kind of a radical liberal perspective rather than a materialist one, they were like, this they were really perplexed by that. Mm -hmm. So like these people on the cusp are like, well, how does it work? Like, how do we like just realizing the role of standpoint theory and undercutting yeah. efficacious Ex analysis? Fucking exactly. Because like that, that is a strength of mine is to be able to do that. So it's like, do you want to get things done effectively or do you want to be known for the person who's stopping racism TM? Which obviously the systemic incentives are to be the latter rather than the right. Former. So a, a non-materialist analysis or, or rather a neoliberal analysis of race that comes from very well-intentioned places and from people who are suffering as well um, leads to this like individual meritocracy in being awarded for stopping racism the most. Which, by the way, this shit isn't stopping racism at all. No, it's not. So so I will say, though, because I, I was sort of injecting a systemic analysis into this and, and sort of catching people where, you know, they're conflating, you know, systemic doesn't mean widespread. It means that this is baked into the hierarchies of our system. I think that that got people thinking about things. Did it stop racism? No, not at all. That's not going to happen because you know what our department can't do? We cannot abolish the profit motive of our university. Yeah. We also cannot um, stop the residential segregation in our community single-handedly. We cannot abolish the resulting inequities of primary education that prevents individuals from getting to the point of the PhD. It is such a self-involved 
approach to anti-racism from well-intentioned people who, who want to be the center of the show and, and stopping these things, and, and who rightfully so, because they feel marginalized and hurt within our system. The other part of that too, though, is that it is so deeply focused on what, what can we do in our department um, that has monthly seminars on diversity, equity, inclusion to make this space more comfortable um, for our diverse students um, who were able to get to a PhD. Uh, yeah, ha- which- how can we make that environment more comfortable rather than focusing on the racialized poverty of our county as healthcare professionals and how we can do that? I, for five years, have been running a free mental health clinic. Um, but I'm the one that gets yelled at for moderating these conversations and trying to drive them to community-driven perspectives. It's all about, you know, my mentor, like, didn't make me feel good. And, like, I'm exclusively exploited because I'm a minority, and it's because I'm a, I'm a minority, not because of the profit motive of academia and the publisher-perish paradigm and how we're all affected by this. And to not acknowledge that the result of that is racialized effects, that you're experiencing that more greatly as a racial and ethnic minority, and that your minority status is not the cause of that in a neoliberal space, it's so misguided. You you mentioned that the thing that's not addressed is like, primary education disparities. And that's like really where the problem is. So what you also have is that the people who are in academia, and you alluded to this, are the people who are ultimately on the good end of the sorting. (laughs) Right. They're not the materially marginalized of their spaces. But the other point is that a lot of racial and ethnic minorities, the majority of them, in fact, the majority of the minorities, I understand it might be a silly sounding statement, but that is the case. No, um, it makes sense. Those folks are materially marginalized, are withheld from a proper education, are not given the advantages that these specific folks who did make it into this situation are more likely to have gotten. It's the new magic school bus. Carlos, who make it into our program. Yeah. Castro is evil, man. So that Che Guevara (laughs) shirt and got all all pissed off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, a a big part of this conversation is how can we make, you know, racial and ethnic minority students who get here or students of other diverse backgrounds who get here or materially compromised be retained and and like want to stay, which is obviously if, if you're trying to diversify your student body, you want to diversify the graduates. Um, and and so, um, one of the, (laughs) paradoxically, people who are promoting this are saying that, well, um, one of the things that we can do is not, you know, focus on research experience so much, um, not focus on like how well you did, um, not focus on your clinical experience or teaching or volunteering or anything like that. Um, and just focus more on what? Oh, no, I, I'm just... No, uh, focus on what? What do you focus on if you're not focusing on the things that you need to, like, be successful? Well, you know that <laughs> diversity wheel that got published, <laughs> like, a, a month ago? Yeah. That's what you focus yeah. on. Yeah. Someone literally said, you know, we shouldn't be focusing on qualifications so much. And you know what happens when you do that 
is you let people in who are going to be absolutely ass-spanked. They're and, going to be swallowed a, whole. In a doctoral program where you you are operating as an independent research. Your salary comes from doing research of your own and contributing to the field. What do I have? I have like 12 of my own therapy patients now. And I do assessments for other people that are, are niche to my specific field and chronic illness. How the fuck would you do that effectively? And then you're putting other people at risk by not having these experiences. So we should just let people into PhD programs because of their charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. it's, but that's it. That's 100% it. But, but the point of that is, and the most like egregious part of that suggestion well there are two one is that we're talking about how much we need to like develop strategies for retention if you which if you're if not you, going to retain people that you bring in who can't do the work right. they're going to feel like shit at every moment of the day because everybody's like going to be coming down on them all the time i feel like shit all the time and i'm one of the most qualified people in my goddamn program you're you're always being asked for something um i i was working on the same analyses at three in the fucking morning before yeah. I did my flight today. And then for several more hours after that. And I'm very experienced in statistics in these things. In any case, so one, you're completely just neglecting the fact that we want to retain students and we want students to be successful and not waste their fucking time. Two is that we're completely ignoring the fact that it's not that these individuals are essentially because of their race or ethnicity or minority status are unable to come in with the same qualifications inherently. It's because of the educational inequities that lead up to that. So why are we focusing on this one negative interaction that somebody had with their mentor that made them feel uncomfortable? Somebody who got in. Someone who got in. Rather than focusing on our fucking communities, because they are materially compromised, it is such a misdirected focus. Well, if if you want to, quote unquote, stop racism, what you have to do is resolve the material problems that are holding back racial and ethnic minorities, which requires and people fucking hate this shit. It requires an analysis of class, which includes a, a, a critique of ideology. If you do not have that going on, you are not going to be resolving the material contradictions between what this person has and what this person has. You are going to be focusing on things like what you're talking about, which is how good somebody feels about an interaction that already got into the fucking school because they were came from a place where they're able to meet those requirements, which puts them materially in a totally different situation than the people that need to be helped. But what, what I see as an outsider is bureaucracy stopping addressing the actual fundamental contradictions, the actual material setbacks that people are experiencing. And to me, whether or not the intention is good or bad, I have to view that as a problem. I just said... That in my community, I've been running a free mental health clinic for exactly. five years. Putting more funding for my department into that, I believe, is a lot more important than making sure that, you know, somebody doesn't ask someone, where are you from? <laughs> 
Yeah, but where are you from from? And, and let me tell you what. Nobody has fucking said that in my department. That is not something. That's never happened. No, I don't believe that for a second. And if it if they did, contextually, they're probably like, oh, like, what's your cultural background? Yeah. And then that's being reported as, you know. That's all for today. Thanks again for watching. This is Packed. I'm Peter. This is Miss Astronaut Cowboy Doctor. To help us out, click like, follow, subscribe, whatever. Leave us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Audible. To support us, become a patron at patreon.com slash Peter Coffin. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you later.